0: Howdy. Welcome to this episode of the Managing Expectations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. This is going to be another solo episode, just you and me in this microphone. Brian's busy. Paul's busy. Everybody's busy. But uh, I think that there's some stuff that you would find interesting. So give it a give it a chance. Recently, uh, the world observed or or took notice of uh, the 25th anniversary of the Hong Kong handover from British rule to Chinese rule. That took place in June of '97. I wasn't in hong kong but i did cover the event uh in as it was observed by people who cared in portland oregon it was probably a combination of the world affairs council and the northwest chinese cultural something or other and there were a bunch of people who were either Expat Hong Kongers or Brits who knew Hong Kong or Americans who knew Hong Kong or could at least find it on the map. Uh it was a big deal. And we watched uh it over a, a cable hookup and uh there was uh talk about it and, and uh that's that was a morning's activity. This is on my mind because while the Managing Expectations podcast doesn't talk about uh, politics in the sense of advocacy, uh, we aren't ignorant of developments around the world. And uh, at the time of the handover, I did talk to a former ambassador who uh, US ambassador to China, who had retired and was living in Minnesota, and he had made himself uh, available to the press. And he was a very interesting guy, and he said it is inconceivable that the Chinese would uh, be brutal uh, to Hong Kong uh, at, at this moment. He said it would it would damage their their international reputation. It would set them back and He was right. He was right until recent years. So give it 20 years of relative uh, peace and prosperity and non-interference from Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party. And a few years ago, they uh, started, that is they, uh, the governing powers in Beijing started um, exerting greater control over the Legislative Council, the governing body of Hong Kong, and um, instead of uh, allowing them to be freely elected by the people of Hong Kong, they were uh, being put in position by uh, the rulers in Beijing. And uh, there were protesters. And though the protesters weren't met with Tiananmen Square kind of uh, uh, violence and repression, uh, tanks weren't called out, um, leaders of the protests were in fact jailed. Uh, There was the effort, pardon me, there was the effort of uh, everyone to wear those uh, yellow rain slickers and uh, to be harder to uh, pick out of a crowd, but uh, many leaders were in fact jailed. Uh, the billionaire uh, Jimmy Lai, uh, he had owned uh, the a- Apple Apple Daily, which was the name of uh, a, a newspaper there. Uh, in Hong Kong, um, I remember seeing him interviewed on uh, 60 Minutes many years ago, and he talked about being a child and you know, sneaking illegally uh, from the mainland into China, and somehow he had a taste of chocolate for the first time, and he, in his life, he had never tasted anything so wonderful. And this, was, this is, I think, notable just because it's something that we take for granted in the West. And these are the simple pleasures that people around the world want to have, but they're prevented uh, from doing so because of uh, the regime that they live under or the poverty that they suffer or sometimes both. So, a guy named Deng Xiaoping, uh, who in fact had suffered during the Cultural Revolution but in due course became Premier of China, opened up the, the Chinese mainland to the West, to capitalism. Uh, he said things like "to get rich is glorious." Uh, people said, um, uh, "Well, isn't it contrary to the Communist Party uh, to want to act like a a filthy capitalist?" You know, and and he said uh, that he wanted uh, capitalism with Chinese features. So. That started, and then in the 90s, the Chinese were entered into uh, the WTO, or the World Trade Organization, and that was a huge deal. It was huge, because it allowed access to markets, such as um, it allowed China access to Western markets. It allowed... Uh, aspects of China into that is Western markets into China and a lot of corporations a lot of Western corporations you know um, just saw green and didn't see um, didn't see communist red Uh, and what happened then was there was a sense of like wow there's a billion Chinese so if we could Sell a, 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 a Coke, uh, a pair of blue jeans, uh, a widget to every, you know, contact lenses uh, to everyone in China will we'll be richer than Croesus, and that might have been true, and to some extent it may have been true, but China is. Um, defies easy understanding for the westerner uh for one thing just because of its scale it's so much bigger there's 330 million people in america right now and it seems like you know you can't go any place to be by yourself um china is roughly the same geographic space as as the u.s um, but there's four times as many people now. It's 1.3 billion people, maybe. So if you think there's competition for the last job that you applied for, imagine if there were a hundred times more people uh, applying for that job. It's why the, the best violin player in China is incredibly great because because imagine how hard it is to get into Juilliard. Well, imagine Juilliard being 10 times smaller and the competition being 10 times stiffer. Um, They have a lot of really accomplished people, but they also have, that is, China, Has a lot of people without jobs, a lot of people who are squan, you know, who 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 do live in poverty. And while uh, since their admittance into the WTO, there's a huge. This is what I was saying about scale too. There are more people in China learning English than there are Americans. There are more unemployed people in China (laughs) than there are Americans. There's more of everything of everything. So, the middle class has gotten huge, and this is this has been uh, through legitimate commercial endeavors, but then there's also been the fact that there's been a lot of piracy and there's been some corporate espionage. and there's been some shady dealings which bring which which have in the recent in recent years brought a backlash against business with China. I go back to the West Wing. Uh, There was an argument made uh, in one of the episodes. And so, you know, this is Bleeding Heart Aaron Sorkin writing for uh, a a career diplomat played by Hal Holbrook. And he said, well, um, if sure, there are prisoners sewing soccer balls uh, in China with their teeth, but the only way we can hope war progress is to bring them into the family of of nations, so why not sell them a burger and fries? Um, You know, 3,000 years ago when the emperor died, uh, his entire servant body uh, was killed and buried with him, so today's political uh, repression is, in fact... Historically speaking, progress, uh, the, the character in the West Wing goes on and says, uh, of course, there's a good chance that I'm wrong and that bringing them into the family of nations isn't going to lead to greater uh, uh, progress and uh, a more tolerant and open society. But even if that's the case, why not sell them a cheeseburger and a Coke as long as we're at it? And um, uh, we've kind of seen uh, both. Um, It would seem now, uh, after uh, Greater Sabre rattling about Taiwan um, than we've seen previously, after political oppression in Hong Kong uh, or in recent years and um, let's see the other one. Uh, and then of course the, the plight of the Uyghurs who are a um, Muslim minority in China uh, uh, in a western province and there are chilling reports of ethnic cleansing and um, incarceration, forced, you know, really concentration camp uh, uh, internment. So, uh, I don't know about all that uh, exactly. I, I, I don't get paid to follow it anymore. I am satisfied about the broad strokes without getting down in the weeds about every aspect of the plight of the Uyghurs Uh, I think it is tough being a uh, religious or political or uh, religious ethnic political um, racial minority in a lot of places and some of that you just uh, roll with but uh, concentration camps aren't okay so All of this having been said, I found a couple of articles that I wrote in 97, and I wanted to share them now. Uh, This was a column that I wrote at the time of the handover. Uh, HK97, Sometimes Things Get Worse. Monsoon rains drenched British dignitaries as they executed their colonial duties one last time in Hong Kong. While bagpipes played and a color guard lowered the Union Jack, Governor Chris Patton, standing next to England's Prince Charles, stifled tears. The display recalled much of the best of government duty and responsibility and capable administration of the people. Reflection upon the British adventure into China recalls too much of the worst, not just of the British Empire, but of man's inhumanity to man. The Opium War is indefensible, offering a brand of Christianity behind gunboats is entirely indefensible. Further, imperialism and colonialism are horrible and will not be defended here, except to say, incredibly, there are worse systems. Critics of the outgoing government might consider that, just possibly, Hong Kong is now in the clutches of law, the British colony. Many many people in Hong Kong will view the British with gratitude. The British provided rule of law and an impartial civil service that provided the guidelines for Hong Kong's prosperity. Patton said, as the British administration ends, we are, I believe, entitled to say that our own nation's contribution here was to provide the scaffolding that enabled the people of Hong Kong to ascend. Now, at the very end of their empire, Britons will have to trust in a balanced historical assessment of their activities, hoping to look beyond years of post-colonial guilt and apology for imperialism. For their part, the Chinese exulted in their reacquisition, recalling more than 150 years of, quote, national humiliation. This, even though they quietly admitted during the week that British rule was not all bad. During the formal handover ceremony, the Prince of Wales spoke in behalf of the British government. He praised the accomplishments of Hong Kong and her people. He said, quote, Hong Kong has shown the world how dynamism and stability can be defining characteristics of a successful society. These have together created an economy, which is the envy of the world. He further brought attention to the joint declaration negotiated between the United Kingdom and the People's Republic of China in 1984. It is this document which is to which is to guarantee an unchanged style of governance for the next 50 years. From this agreement came Deng Xiaoping's policy, One Country, Two Systems. Concluding, and on behalf of the Queen and the British peoples, uh, Prince Charles expressed admiration and good wishes to all of Hong Kong's people who have been, quote, such staunch and special friends. He said, quote, we shall not forget you, and we shall watch with the closest interest as you embark on this new era of your remarkable history. Another alternative. We'll have to wait and see what the new era of Hong Kong's remarkable history brings. However, before critics jump too much for joy over what's going, they might consider what's coming they should at least admit the possibility that it could be terrible. It remains to be seen whether China wants to threaten Los Angeles with ICBMs, but it is already plainly evident that people of conscience are safer in Los Angeles than they are in Beijing. Even leaving aside the unlikely event of a Tiananmen Square-type massacre, how will basic freedoms of speech, assembly, and religion be affected? Early indications answer poorly. Britain's critics say that democratic voice was only given to Hong Kong after it became obvious that it would revert to Chinese control. All of this was largely the work of then-Governor Chris Patton. At any rate, Hong Kong enjoyed every de- democratic freedom if not actual democratic institutions perhaps if hostility of if hostility of britain's critics is justified here it should be shared with the people of hong kong but a poll taken last week prior to the handover showed that 50% of hong kong's residents would prefer to stay british and that the ever popular Patton enjoyed rising stock to the end. The purpose here is not to be an Anglo apologist. At the height of their empire, they took and took and returned very little. But as their empire waned, an attempt was made to prepare the former subjects for independence. It could be argued that British, excuse me, it could be argued that Britain distinguished it herself in this way above say the Netherlands or Belgium. This serves to remind of the relative failure of large number of former colonies. Freedom from oppression seem uh, uh, freedom from oppression seems to be good and desirable. But then what? What are people free to be? Without the Soviet Union, is Yugoslavia free to be only Yugoslavia, or can they subdivide into independent warring states? How far down will freedom allow peoples to subdivide? Tribes, families? It is, even, is it even a state if it can't provide for itself, or is prevented from providing for itself by a belligerent? Is the former collapse of Somalia, is, excuse me, is the former Colony of Somalia, a state. The map says so, but no one who's been there does. Is Cambodia a state, or is it void into? Is it void into which the UN pours peacekeepers and money? Is Chechnya a state, or is it an an uppity province that Russia pours bombs into? Does a farmer in North Dakota have as much in common with the Interior Secretary? in Washington D.C. as he does a farmer in Saskatchewan. There is change in the world always change however it does not follow that the is always for the better indeed things can and do get worse. Professor Thomas Sowell in his book Migrations and Cultures remarks after the fall of Rome the races of Western Europe were the same as they had been before But the disillusion of their cultural institutions left them far below the material and intellectual levels achieved by their ancestors. Europe's recovery took centuries. The world defies mankind's attempts to box it and label it and stack it into tidy rows. Not every alternative offers dynamism and stability and a scaffolding to ascend not every alternative offers a measure of law and order to the extent that these things have existed be happy things can always get worse well so that was me writing 25 years ago and um uh so i I actually um I wouldn't say I met Chris Patton. I went to a book uh, a book reading that he uh, gave in uh, Seattle, and I got his autograph. Uh, not his autograph. He signed a copy of uh, the book uh, that he wrote, which is called East and West by uh, Christopher Patton. He was he was he was a really smart guy. For a minute, he was. Um, foreign Minister for the European Union, but I'm sure he's retired now. He was a boomer, so he was, you know he's an old man. Anyway, um, uh, so it was supposed to last for 50 years. I, I think the point that I was making was um, Hong Kong was never free in the sense. Uh, It it was never democratic in the sense that, you know, whatever, you vote for the mayor, you vote for the, you know, you you vote for people. Though the British did start to uh, instruct or institute aspects of that with the legislative council before they left. Um, It was this weird and and wonderful mix. Uh, um, Mrs. Winger and I visited Hong Kong uh, for what five days and four nights in um, late 95 and it was just this bustling kind of wonderful huge city I mean it was it was the things you like about a city but it was I I mean you know as far far as being tall and gleaming and shiny but then there was also this uh, neighborhood ferment and you know some of that wasn't as great there was some terrible smells. There was pollution. That, I mean, people would dump their trash and, you know, streams, uh, you know, in the area. Um, uh, they hadn't built the new airport yet. So, like, the airport was like, in the middle of all these skyscrapers. So, I mean, you would be, you'd be on the street in Hong Kong and, like, a, a jumbo jet would just, like, drop like you know really really steeply uh to uh, make the landing there in Hong Kong um so, so and there were and there were people everywhere and they were united in this they were trying to make a buck and i don't know maybe they were motivated by you know the abject poverty in much of mainland China and like Jimmy Lai they got a taste of chocolate and they wanted another one. So the Chinese would come to Hong Kong to prosper materially. The British and look, the British, the British are some weird cats, too. You know, they just like they like to run stuff. And so they don't (laughs) they don't really care about being democratic. They just like they've read the classics they know disraeli and they know you know the duke of wellington and they can just govern and uh, at least as at, le- at least as as well as anybody and better than some so uh here you had like these british administrators and hong kongers who didn't really want to run things they just wanted to be left alone to, you know, sell a fake Rolex or open a noodle shop or whatever. And it worked pretty great for a while. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, Hong Kong was much of the setting for uh, John Le Carré's Honorable Schoolboy, the Honorable Schoolboy. And he, at the beginning of that book, he quotes the poet W.H. Auden who wrote, um, I and the public know what all the schoolboys learn. He to whom evil's done does evil in return. That, sad to say, sounds like more where we're at today. As the scaffolding of institutions are being dismantled, uh, there's threats of wars, of war uh you know i i I do think one thing is is notable uh when charles says uh, we shall not forget you and we shall watch with the closest interest as you embark on this new era well that was true for 20 years but you know stuff happens you know it's like it's like telling someone you know oh you know you're friends with somebody and they move away oh we'll write all the time we're just a phone call away you know email and you know social media it's just like it's just going to be we're just going to stay so close forever and you know 20 years is a long time people move on and Prince Charles could say well we're going to be watching we're not going to forget you we're keeping an eye on you but, you know, really? Did they? Will they? And so, uh, uh, anyway, that's that's where we're at. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this recollection of Hong Kong and of uh, my my impression of the handover 25 years ago obviously we we hope for uh, we hope the best for people of goodwill wherever they can be found so this episode of managing expectations podcast has been brought to you by the Managing Expectations Podcast. Please check us out at Managing Expectations Also, you can go to Mrs. Winger.com and buy awesome handmade stuff. Additionally, please go to all allinadream.us, allinadream.us for all in a dream comics and books in downtown Denver, Colorado. You can find us on Instagram, on Locals.com, and uh, continue to uh, find our podcast on Apple, Stitcher. I don't know about Stitcher. I always say Stitcher, but I don't don't know if we're actually on that. Apple, Google Play, Spotify. Oh, for heaven's sake, and don't forget, don't forget awesome refresher podcast right now chris levine has got us slipping into that twilight zone it feels like being cloned and uh uh he's really uh, levine remains bruce springsteen to my john cafferty and the beaver brown band so uh listen to uh the refresher podcast the pop cultural uh, therapy podcast so that's it that's it for now uh i hope to have brian and paul back sooner rather than later thanks for listening oh don't oh also this like subscribe share share with a friend tell them that you dig the podcast tell them you dig the merch you dig the print art that you dig the t-shirts man it's just it's just it's groovy if you do All right, everybody. Uh, Peace and prosperity. Jeff Winger, out.